Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's Marketing Masterclass. Today, we are talking all about pivoting your niche and all things niching uh, with the wonderful Lucinda Empson. So for those of you joining us um, from the community, hello, you will know Lucinda as a community member. Um, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, my name is uh, Simon Batchelor and I am one of the co-founders of Better, Bolder, Braver. And I'm also joined uh, by Francis. So Francis, do you want to do a quick intro for you for the people who are joining us for the first time? Hello, people who are joining us for the first time. My name is Francis Khalasji, and I am the other co-founder of the fabulous community of coaches trying to put themselves out there that is called Better, Bolder, Braver. Thank you all for joining us. Excellent. And um, Lucinda, do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, you? Who are who are you? Who am I? Oh, th yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So where do I start? Who am I? I am, I am uh, a doctor uh, by trade, I suppose. So that's, uh, I be, was in the NHS for about 24 years. Um, and then I suppose I pivoted at that point and left the NHS, did something different, which we can talk about. And then um, I've also trained as an executive coach and that qualification happened in June last year. Um, and then I've been working out what the devil my niche was going to be since then. Um, and I came across Better Boulder Braver, which has been an enormous help for me, helping me to work it all out. But I've managed to pick one and then pivot. So here I am. <laughs> <laughs> I want to um, invite everyone here to get into the right frame of mind by posting in the chat by way of a check-in <clears throat> we hope you're all well um and it would be lovely to know how you are and also what you used to be um and so i'm going to share that i used to be i used to manage marketing and communications for the uk office of the world's only art-led insurance company um but we'd like for everyone to just uh take a moment to share what they used to be so that we can kick this conversation off around that sort of stuff and then we can pick back up with you Lucinda you were just getting there I think I used to be uh, I when I left school I trained as a mechanical engineer so I did mechanical engineering for four years then I went to university and studied audio engineering and I worked in tv and advertising for another 15 years probably Lots of films and adverts and things like that. Um, yeah, and I've worked in a mark well, and I've run the marketing agency alongside that for the last almost twenty years. So I guess I kind of pivoted as well in that sense. So yeah, uh, be interesting to hear. Uh, Mark Stedman, he's checked in, said he's used to be a web app developer or web slash app developer. Yeah, Emily's artist, coder, business owner, US UX architect. Mm. Excellent. Emily, Very good. About you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. It seems like people have had very varied uh, paths or journeys to to uh, find themselves where they are now. We loved um, something that you've shared recently, Lucinda, about um, when. Well, let, let's just finish off with what, what what you were doing prior to becoming a coach, and and maybe you can tell people briefly how it is you decided to do that thing in the first place. 
Okay, so let's go back way back when, because that's what Simon started with. So um, I decided when I was about 11 that I wanted to be a doctor. And so my whole focus all through senior school was how was I going to get there to be a doctor. Um, and, and that's what I did. And I got into medical school and I became a doctor. And then it's weird because we have to start niching as a doctor. You know, there are so many specialties. And I think I spent five years working out all the things I didn't like and all the things I didn't want to be. And I got spat out as a, um, from being a medical student to being a, a baby doctor. And I still didn't really know what I wanted to be. I think the thing that was top of my list was uh, obs and gynae. I think I wanted to deliver babies because I'd really enjoyed delivering babies when I'd done that, that module. But I wasn't really sure. So um, I then set out uh, in the first year um, and, and it was a big shock being a doctor for the first time uh, and then working out well which route am I going to go down am I going to be a GP am I going to be a hospital specialist and, and it's really hard to choose and at the time I did it it was a long time ago now so 30 years ago um, there wasn't very much in the way of career guidance so you just tried stuff really and a lot of people would just go and do a job for six months and go oh I like the look of that I think I might give that a try and off they go down their their career route um, and for me, I ended up choosing anaesthetics. And the only reason I chose anaesthetics, I'd never thought of it before when I was at medical school, was I did a job and I had some patients in the middle of my ward that were intensive care patients to all intents and purposes, which I was horrified when I found them there on the first day of the job. Um, and it was the anaesthetists on the intensive care ward that were really good at explaining what was going on and what I needed to do to help look after them. So that's why I chose anaesthetics. And then I went off down that career path and it takes about nine years to train to be a consultant anaesthetist. So it takes up a huge amount of your time to get to that career. And then I was a consultant anaesthetist for 14 years before um, various things happened along the way. And I decided, was I going to be brave enough to try something else? Um, and uh, as, Bert, as Francis has already mentioned, I basically had a big period of burnout um, and, I, and I had some time out, a couple of months out, and then I went back and I thought, can I keep doing this? And I decided the answer was no, but it took me about three years to get from no to deciding and working out what I could do instead. So that was, uh, that, was that bit. And then I knew that I didn't really want to give up being a doctor but um, I needed to find something else that I could do. Um, and weirdly, and this is completely unrelated, um, when I was about 39, I decided to uh, learn to fly and I did a private pilot's license. And when I did the private pilot's license, I found out that um, doctors needed medical, sorry, pilots needed medicals. Um, I had to go and have a medical and I thought, oh, this is quite interesting. I quite like aviation medicine. And I did some training so that I could be an aviation medical examiner. And I did it very part time as a consultant anesthetist, like one afternoon a week. Um, and I decided that when I was thinking of changing career that I could build on that. And then I could use that as my my new job, if you like, when I left the old job, when I left the NHS. And so that's what I did. And, and I did that for a period of time, full time from probably about four or five years. Um, and then um, I think it was in the, maybe, I think it, I'm going to say it's the first lockdown. It might've been just before the first COVID lockdown. I decided that I was going to do some coaching training, which is where the coaching came about. But what I'd found when I'd given up working in the NHS was the bit that I'd really missed from that job 
was all of my interaction with trainees and education because I loved that part of my job. I was a college tutor and I looked after lots of um, trainees as they were coming through. And I used to mentor and coach them informally, really. So I'd done, I'd done mentoring and coaching for a long, long time, but without a hat on my head that's had the word coach written on the top of it. Um, and so when I was finding I was missing it, I thought, well, maybe that could be something that I could do. And me being me, I have to have a qualification when I do anything. So, so off I went on an ILM qualification. And then I came out at the end of that and I thought, that's great. I'm qualified now, an executive coach. And then a few people started asking me, well, what do you do? What does that mean? And I couldn't answer the question. Hence why, <laughs> hence why the niching sort of became <laughs> a thing. You know, what am I, yeah. what am I going to tell them I do? Who do I coach? What am I going to do? What's my business going to be? So that in, is a, in a nutshell is my squiggle mm -hmm. to how I got to where I am now. Okay. So I feel like we can go in a number of directions. Um, and but what we want to focus on, I think, is uh, sort of how you came to think that what you should be doing is coaching doctors who've burnt out. Do you remember mm -hmm. when that decision was made? So, yeah. So so I after I had a period of time of thinking about this executive coaching and I really didn't know what to do. Um, niching really became a th more of a thing for me after I joined the Better Boulder Braver community and I had randomly heard you speaking on a podcast I was driving somewhere and I heard you speaking and I just thought oh this sounds like something I'd really like and so I signed up before the community was open and I was raring to go when the doors opened um, and then I thought oh well this is this is what I'm going to do and I and I thought long and hard about how I could help people because what I really wanted to help um, and I thought, well, the obvious thing for me is to do burnout because it was dreadful. I didn't like being burnt out and I'd really like to stop doctors getting burnt out. We'd, we were coming through COVID and I could just see a real need for people, um, for, for, well, lots of healthcare workers, really. And that coaching for burnout would be a good thing for me to do. So that that's where my first niche came from. And I got as far as making the website and I got as far as starting to write some of the content and working out how I was going to go about coaching doctors for burnout and then what happened and then what happened what happened next <laughs> was that the more I wrote stuff the more triggered I got by what mm. I was doing so um I was starting to get cross I, I really was and one, one of the things that I have and I think one of the values that I have is I like to stick up for people that I feel are are you know downtrodden or they haven't got mm. a voice of their own and I really like to champion that and, and, and the more I thought about what was going on, the more cross I was getting with the system that they were stuck in, that I couldn't change when I was in it. And I just thought, this isn't making me feel good. It's, it, I, I, and I'm really not sure that it's what I want to do. So, um, so I was then in a real quandary. I got the website. I was there. I was on LinkedIn. I was the doctor for, I was going to coach doctors with burnout. Then I had somebody contact me. And all the time I'm thinking... I'm not sure I can do this. I don't know if I want to do it. So there was a pivot on the way. Do you remember us um, talking about the inbox? Should we talk about the perfectionism stuff a little bit? Yeah, we can talk about the perfectionism stuff, definitely. That um, came up in, in one, of our, <laughs> one of our sessions, didn't it? The idea it of did. clearing an inbox. Mm, so I and I'm still like it now I, I don't like opening my emails and seeing more than about 10 sitting there 25 
will really get me quite, oh, I don't like that. And so I have to go through them and I quickly delete, 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 delete till I'm down to my manageable, acceptable number. Um, and I am a major perfectionist. I come by that very honestly and I recognize it. So it's something that I have to manage, um, definitely have to manage. And there's quite a lot of um, the emotions that come up for you, if you don't mind me saying, around getting things done and sort of, I mean, we don't have anyone, I don't think, who's gone through our course with such tenacity and vigour and commitment and, you know, this this idea of needing to, <clears throat> you know, uh, you're incredibly studious, very attentive, um, you know, you work through things so methodically and, you know, it, it's it's obviously been part of your practice to kind of be committed to the thing. And, mm. you know, yes, go on. I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, that's just me. So um, it's how I am. So if I do anything, I have to do it to the best of my ability. It's not necessarily that I have to be perfect at it, but I like to give everything, as you said, care and attention and just to make sure that um, I, I, I can do it as well as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. And I do have a friend who says that, if I do anything, I'm the sort of person who has to have an ology in it by the time I've finished. And that can be knitting. <laughs> it can be sewing. It can be anything I do. If you look, with Simon was talking earlier about cookery books, and there's a big shelf behind me, and I must have about 40 on it. <laughs> so, again, if I get interested in something, I like to know as much about it as possible. That's just let, how I am. If we make, then just circle back, as mm-hmm. they say to the point at which it was becoming clear to you what was coming up when you were thinking about trying to address uh, challenges for burnout doctors. You know, what? can you just talk a little bit more about the feelings that were coming up for you and the idea of whether or not you could or couldn't solve things for them and how that felt? So I think I think one of the big things that I'd subsequently read about, which didn't come up for me at all when I was feeling burnt out, was that I'd processed it and I dealt with it and I'd got to a point where I thought I can make my my niche pivot, if you like, and I can leave that part um, behind and I can move to do something else that I'm still going to find fulfilling, that I'm still going to enjoy and it's going to be okay. It was terrifying, utterly terrifying because I'd been doing that career for a long, long time and I was closing a door on something and I had a lot of people around me that were saying, are you sure? Are you sure you're making the right choice? Is that really, is that really the right thing to do? And that was family and friends. And I sort of felt like saying, well, I haven't just decided to do it in the last 10 minutes. Um, I have actually spent about two or if not three years thinking about it. And in that process that we've already described about me being studious, I'd read books, several. I'd thought about it. I'd asked people questions. I'd had a look and I decided, is this something viable that I can do? So it wasn't taken lightly. Um, and, and, and with the burnout, I felt that I'd, I'd processed it in my head absolutely fine. Uh, and what I wanted to, um, I suppose, achieve for other people was to try and stop them getting to where I got to uh, and stop the feelings that I'd had coming up for them. But um, I hadn't, one of the things, I, one of the concepts I came across as I, as I was writing and reading about all sorts of things was the concept of moral injury. And um, 
moral injury comes about when you're working in a system and the system starts to expect you to do things which are perhaps slightly outside your values. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing something bad or that it's particularly unsafe, but it doesn't quite sit with how you perceive the way you want to work to be. And I think it's not just in healthcare. I think there's a whole pile of organizations which can inflict that sort of moral injury on people. Um, and then they start talking about resilience and we're all supposed to be resilient and, and everybody in healthcare was meant to be resilient. And it puts the blame back onto the person. And um, the fact that you're not resilient enough means that you've burnt out. So it's your fault that you've burnt out. It's not the fault of the system. It's not the fault of anybody else. You're just not resilient enough. And I think that that was what started to come up. And I started to get quite cross, I think, mm. that that uh, I couldn't change the system that they were stuck in. So although I could perhaps coach people to be able to uh, manage what they were thinking, I wanted to change the system and I knew I couldn't change the system. Mm. And I was finding there's a lot, there was a lot of conflict there Okay, for me. Um, let's park this idea of not being able to change the system and resilience for a second, because I think it will come up nicely when we go on now to tell people, if you would, what was the situation that made you think about your your new uh, current let's say my current niche. niche. <laughs> uh so so the situation there was one of the things that i did when i was plotting and planning to leave my job was i wrote a uh, a cv um that had a big list of transferable skills in it and and there must have been I'm, i came up with about 13 things because when you when you're entrenched in a job um certainly if you've been a doctor you think you can't do anything else and i come across it at the moment with pilots who've been stuck in difficult places and lost their job they think oh, i can only be a pilot there's nothing else i can do um and slowly you start to work out actually well i've got all these skills and i could apply them to other things so i did the same really with the coaching and i sort of sat there thinking well just because I've said I'm going to coach doctors with burnout doesn't mean I can't use all my coaching skills that I've got to coach any niche. But I've now got to think about a niche that that I'm interested in that has had some for me, it had to have some impact. Um, and, and I needed to feel that I could help. So uh, the niche I've chosen is that I'm working uh, with professional women. So that was using my executive coaching. Uh, and and I chose divorce because I've never been divorced. I will say that now. So I have no idea of the experience of divorce, but I have seen what it does to close family members and close friends who are professional women who've suddenly had a whole Chernobyl of stuff land on their heads and, and they have to unpick it as well as cope with it, as well as then turn up at work and function in the way that's expected. So it was a mixture, I think, of of who I've seen people around me and then thinking I can use all of these skills that I've got um, to be able to apply them in a completely different area. OK, uh, thank you. So um, I think there's, yeah, where do we go from here? Do we go down the, the road of can you help people if you haven't had personal experience? Or do we go down the road that is system changing and not being able to change systems and how that feels? Um, and I'm thinking about resilience, which you 
talked mm-hmm. about before and and I can't help but want to go down the road of um how it feels to be resilient in marriage and um not being able to change the system that is the structure of of your life outside of work um and I'm wondering how it interests you that there is this part of the work with divorcing professional women that's around the very stuff that was quite triggering for you, the idea of not being able to change systems, because there is that, isn't there? You can't change where people are coming from, whether they're burning out or having to get divorced. They're having to make a major life-changing shift and you can't change the system that they're coming from. Uh, no, I can't, I, I very much can't change the system that they're coming from or the system that they're in. But the way that I like to coach is probably got its roots in cognitive behavioral therapy. And I think there's a nice term which you can use if you're not doing therapy, which is cognitive behavioral coaching. And so I'm very much into the fact that, um, what you think governs what, how you feel, and how you feel governs how you behave. So although you might be stuck in a system that you're banging your head against the wall and you think, I can't stand this, you can actually start with to subtly change the way you think and you feel about it. And I'm not talking about saying, oh, you need to think happy thoughts every day because that doesn't work. Um, you can't, you can't, just go, oh, well, I'm going to constantly criticize my thoughts and have a go at them. And I'm going to have new thoughts because that doesn't work either. Because You just have to have an awareness and a space to work out how you want to think, how you want to feel. And instead of reacting and doing things over and over again the same way, you can just give yourself a little bit of space to go, I'm going to act Um, I'm not going to be reflexive. I'm going to be reflective and I'm going to act in a slightly different way. And that that's where I'm coming from. I think with it. So although you can't change your system or, or necessarily break out of something, you can change the way you react to being in that position. If that makes sense. It very much does. And, you know, obviously it'd be great to get to, uh, you know, how it is to market a niche when you're not, <clears throat> on authority in the in the conventional sense i.e., you haven't had life experience but just before we do do that I'd, I'd like to stay with this for a bit if we may um mm. because we talk about marketing excuse my french everyone uh as another fucking self-growth tool and you and i have talked about divorce as another fucking self-growth tool and you're talking now to the idea of having to develop these uh reflective skills as somebody going through something that is you know, potentially very triggering and and sort of invites reactivity readily. Um, And the skills that can be uh, developed uh, when going through a divorce arguably then can affect you in many positive ways in other areas Mm -hmm. of your life. So can you talk a little bit about how you feel you have much support to offer in that regard? Um, based on your own experience or passion um, that you have for that? Yeah, so I think I think the sort of going back to having had to live something in order to be able to coach in it, I don't personally think that that's the case because for me, one of the really important things with being a coach is being able to hold space for somebody else. And, and I felt that 
when I was being triggered by the stuff I was writing, and, and yes, it's the growth tool, if you like, I'm writing all of this stuff down and I'm processing it all. I felt that I was being getting cross and, um, as I said, triggered by it. And, and if I had somebody sat in front of me who was telling me all this stuff, I could feel that that I was almost, if you not, not colluding, but I was in danger of not being able to hold a nice neutral space for them to process what was going on without me wanting to go, oh, yes, and that, and that, oh, yes, I know exactly how that feels. That, to me, was one of the things I wanted to try and avoid as a coach. Now, I'm not saying that for anybody else that that's wrong and they, they can use all of those things and their experience in a positive way. But for me, in that particular circumstances, at the current time, and it could change in six months, 12 months, five years' time, I might well be able to hold that space and not be triggered by it or react in a way that I think perhaps isn't a good way for a coach to react. Whereas I'm a step removed um, with the subject of divorce. So I can use all my skills, but I've got that, I've got the ability to hold that space for the other person to explore where they want to go. And that's how I, that's why I've chosen it and why I feel happier to be able to do it. Mm, I love, I love, love that you both answered my question and very neatly segued into how to do good marketing if you don't come with the life experience that makes you typically an authority. So well done. See what you did there. Um, <laughs> so now let's talk about how you are. You brought you you came to um, I won't forget your you came to a session with me and you actually told a story that you that you haven't told, which is that you're having a cup of tea with someone and it just dropped the idea of the divorce coach thing do you remember um, oh yes and yeah kind of out of the blue I went around to see, one, see a good friend and we were chatting about it and she's another doctor and she just sort of said well why do you we were talking about the fact that I was getting cross about things and she said well why are you doing it then and and then and um and we'd got to talk about a few other things and she said I think that divorce would be a really good thing for you <laughs> And I thought, well, this is a bit weird and awful. She's not getting divorced either, <clears throat> by the way. And I think she'd seen something in a newspaper and it was just in her head at the time. And I just said, oh, that's quite a good idea, actually. I'm going to go and think about that. So it was a bit random. Yeah. And then the and more the same... I thought about it, the more I thought, well, actually, that could be quite a good thing for me to do. The same, the same thing happened to me when I was uh, in a conversation with someone in front of a load of coaches and they said to me, why aren't you doing marketing support with coaches? And I was like, what? I didn't know anything about coaches, you know. And so I think these things sometimes just fall on into our laps. And then very quickly we can see that it makes perfect sense um, mm -hmm. based on the experience that we do have and how actually we have very applicable skills for that group of people. Um, <clears throat> exactly, Carlos, emergent strategy, the best kind. Um, you know, rather than putting too much pressure on ourselves to work it, to work out in this instance what our niche might be, you know, sometimes it's being open to what somebody or something is kind of pointing us to and then considering if that's a possible route. Um, exactly. Being open to what the universe is telling you and being able to interpret um, whether it's right for you and then tell other people why it's right for you. So on that... Um, you you then got very enthused, didn't you, about this idea? And now you're at a place where tell us what you have done in terms of your marketing on this new oh. niche. So what have I done? So um, I think I decided in October time last year that I was going to be switching my niche. So I suddenly thought, oh, what am I going to do now? So I'm going to have to stop doing the 50 posts that I've got to do. Or, or should be doing all the coulds and shoulds. They were all there, Simon. And I just thought I'm going to stop because I'm not ready 
to announce this new niche yet. So I just stopped all of that sort of activity. And I, what I focused on doing was uh, building a website, which I did myself from scratch. So I, that was a, took me a long time just because there was an awful lot of learning to do. Which, so I did, did that. And then while I was doing all of this, I was getting more and more involved in the Better, Bolder, Braver community. And and one of the things that I just really feel passionately about is the power of community and the power of support. And and so I decided, actually, I quite like to have a mighty network of my own to help women. And I was and and there's all sorts of stuff which we've talked about in other places about uh, how to structure product and how to cost it all and how much it's going to cost and I was very aware that the the way that I am is that I wanted to have something that lots of people could have access to that was maybe at a lower price point um, as well as one-to-one coaching or group coaching and all of the other things that I'd got whizzing around in my head that would be a good idea to do so so I then started doing both in parallel and I wanted to have stuff in the in the community before I did the big launch, which I got around to doing, I think it was about the end of January. Um, and so I'd started switching the content. I did manage to repurpose some of the things I'd written with a slightly different slant. Um, and then I was just really thinking about how to go about it all. And I'm still there thinking about how to go about it all, um, uh, just working things out really. So I've now got a website, and I've got a community. I need to build a, I want to build a, an email list. I've got one person in it at the moment, but it will grow. It will. Um, and my community has got four people in it, I think, but it's got the potential to grow. And and so I'm just at the very early stages of trying to launch a business and market myself. That's and what, where I am. Can you tell people what we were talking about um, this morning in terms of um well what were we talking about Swanee? how do you re- how do you recall what it was that we were talking the about? bit that the the um uh so my dog is barking i do apologize i knew he would uh this, this morning uh i was talking about feeling overwhelmed really because i've got so so what i'm trying to do is write good content um to go into the community so i might i'm wanting to write articles which are going to be useful and it's to be in the community and then for me to use it when i'm um using it as my coaching project so I find it quite exhausting to do that and then I was saying and then I feel like I need to try and repurpose it into other things and I might you know get three social media posts out of something and I'm really worn out by the time I've done all of that and and it's like oh I I, I was saying I was finding all of that overwhelming and then trying to think of oh I need to do something listening and I need to do something watching and and I've got all the kit to do it and I'm ready to do it but I've just sort of find that I'm a bit you know worn out by the end of what I've done um so so I'm finding that quite tough um and then I I was I was going to say something else it slipped my mind keep talking Francis and it will come back to me well the thing that I think we were talking around as well was how to work with becoming uh well being seen as an authority and how content serves you in that regard. So what I think we're talking about with you is this idea of transferable skills. And I know there's a couple of people in the chat here who are having a their own relationship with <clears throat> what niche should they focus on. And for some people that's, you know, for some people niche means what is my niche approach to coaching. And for others, it's what's my niche audience. And both of those things are of course relevant because we want to talk about our method how we want to talk about who we're trying to serve and, and why us. 
I'm just going to read Mark's comment here. I found it useful to focus my energies on the bits that don't drain my energy. So for me, video is harder and I want to do more podcast wise than just read my blog posts. So I focused on my writing and it's had a big effect and I'm often featured in industry newsletters as a result when my podcast and video content was not. Um, thank you so much, Mark. In fact, we were talking to Lucinda this morning about um, PR and, uh, you know, the power I think for Lucinda will be in when her stuff starts to be featured by other people. Um, and I think that as she builds up this kind of accolade and library of content as the authority, the coach authority on professional divorcing women, more people will be looking to Lucinda as um, for comment and thought piece. Um, and, you know, in the absence of people knocking on your doors to join the community and journalists hounding you with calls because they want you to comment, it is, of course, quite exhausting. And the exhausting nature of generating content is in generating content. But I think also just to kind of hark back to your burnout experiences and the idea of not being able to change the system, I think what's exhausting for you, isn't it, is the um, amount of effort that you're having to um, make in terms of saying stuff about stuff that you feel and people aren't really listening and nothing's really changing and things aren't really happening and burnout is happening and it sort of feels doesn't it rather like all the stuff that you were looking to leave behind and so I guess my invitation to you is you know how is this another fucking self-growth tool for you and you know what are you doing with the advice that you not advice but what do you you know how are you holding space for yourself to um, process how it's feeling for you to kind of feel slightly burnt out by the content generation and slightly frustrated by no one knocking on the door um, well, it, it's, I think it's frustration and, and it's the, it, I, I've spoken to a few people in the community. It's like, you know, here it is. And, and it's come and find me. And, and people just aren't finding you or me. Um, and, and it, and it is, it's, it, well, it's part of marketing. It, it, it is a very frustrating experience when you feel so ready and so ready to help. And, and ordinarily in my, in my, or in my other job as a doctor, People are biting your hand off to be helped. And, and I'd go to work and I'd just be helping because it was there and it was my job. Or um, when I'm doing my my new role in aviation medicine, they, they need me to do the medical. So, so it's sort of a ready-made, ready-to-help. Whereas this is being really raring to go to help and not being sure that what you're doing is helping. And I think that's one of the things I spoke to somebody else about, that we, we write the content and the bits you put onto social media and you send it right off, off into the ether and you have no way of knowing if it's helping or not helping. And you have to have a leap of faith, I think, that somebody somewhere might read it and, and that they will then come to you. So I think I was finding that. I think that's one of the things I'm finding hard is not knowing or having that... Um, feedback if you like that it is helping and what I'm doing is helpful um which I'm not used to um and in terms of uh, um what you were talking about before about the sort of PR thing it's trying to work out who to target and where to target it to and trying to get it to the right place that I don't have the skills yet to know how to do that or do it in a way that I think well if I do that and it's really rubbish and my approach to those people with my email doesn't hit right then that will be it. 
and 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 that opportunity will be gone so so i'm what i'm trying to do i suppose in a long-winded way with how to stop myself burning out is just to say actually it's okay and that that what you're doing is all right right now and it might be different in six months time and you've had a conversation with somebody that you didn't have before and you've just had a blog accepted somewhere that you you didn't know that that was going to happen and so it's it is a very gradual sort of evolution and I'm trying to accept that it's going to be gradual rather than instant which I think is a big problem for a lot of people I'm not sure what you think about that yeah I think there's a lot of pressure on content to deliver immediately and I think especially coming from you know the world of as you say, ready-made customers. Obviously, the big downside of working in medicine is that there's always people who need your help um, in the sense that there's no shortage of people who are ill and or need help. But in the sense of marketing, it's, it's not as simple as that, and it does take time. And I think there is that sort of wilderness stage where you are sort of putting stuff out into the void, as it were, and just sort of hoping it's rattling around somewhere and people are picking it up. And I think there is a lot of trust you have to put in the system of, you know, if you put useful stuff out there, you, you know, you're authentic with what you're saying, you're being useful rather than pushy or salesy, um, which I'm not implying you are, but just in general, you know, that's then... Ultimately, that stuff does start to get noticed and people do start to pay attention. I mean, we were talking about, you know, what we were doing and what we were building for three months, I think, before we launched. Um, and we didn't know whether when we opened the doors, whether anybody was going to click in and come and join us. Mm. You know, so you do just have to sort of trust and build up and hope. And, you know, turns out, actually, we had you know, about 40 people join on day one just because they were on the mailing list and we sent the, you know, the doors are open and in, in everyone came. But you have to kind of, you have to stick with that for a while. And that is, that, and I, I, I can see how that maps also to what you were saying about burnout because there is some overlap there. Mm. You know, you don't want to burn yourself out and put yourself under too much pressure. I have to do this, I have to do that. You know, everyone says I need to be doing this and I need to be doing that. And, you know, I need to be releasing two podcast episodes a week. Otherwise, my whole business is going to fall flat on its face. It's like, you know, there, there there's elements where you, you, you need to be kind to yourself as well as try and keep motivated. And it's a hard balance to make, especially if you're trying to do it on your own. And I think the other thing as well is you start to question your niche. And, and, mm. and, and so you start to think, well, maybe nobody, maybe nobody needs this. Maybe I'm coming at this all wrong. Perhaps I should be doing something different. And it's knowing um, and having the, the the faith. I've just seen Carlos's comment there that actually what you've got is good, and that it just needs some time to grow. And I and I think I said to to Francis right at the very beginning that 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 I found it helpful. I think thinking about a niche as something that we start doing really from the minute that we learn to talk, because we go to nursery. And we have a little look round and we go, oh, I want to be friends with her over there or him over there. And we have to be brave and we have to go and wander over and ask if I can play with you, please. And you might, they might turn around and say, no, I don't want to be your friend. 
And, and we start learning from a very early age that there's this big thing of rejection out there, which isn't very nice. And I think that that's something that's going on with niching is that we're still doing it. We're still trying to find our tribe of the people who are going to let us in. You know, am I going to be the cool girl with the cool bag or do I go and oh, I, maybe I'll have a different bag and I'll go and be over there or, oh, I don't want to do netball or hockey. I, I, I don't like the, the, the sound of it. And, and we're constantly, as, as we grow, picking our niche I had to pick my special team and we're doing it all the time and we get more and more used to people saying no thanks and it's um and it's it's hard <laughs> you're making me think I need to teach my kids to say I'm not for everyone and that's okay <laughs> yeah and so absolutely. when they're in the playground and someone doesn't want to be their friend that's what they're gonna say I love that um and it's also so sweet to think that we know that we can have, if we can have squiggly careers, then can't we have squiggly niching careers as well, where it's perfectly fine to do this niche at this point and then niche down in this area at that point. Um, oh, Carlos, it's hard to be on the other side of that. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, <clears throat> it is hard sometimes to not be wanted by everybody. Um mm. and, and yet Simon was saying this morning how brilliant it is that if people unsubscribe, from your e-newsletter, you can be sure that those who are still subscribing really do give a shit about what it is you're saying. So, you know, in the same vein, the friends that are there really, really love you. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, what was I going to say? Oh, I've gone completely off topic. I know. Actually, it was something that Carlos talked about on our uh, marketing masterclass a few months ago, and that's the idea of not conversions but conversations so when we're trying to figure out is this actually a value to people then our content is there certainly to do the two things that you've mentioned which is to um, gift to people things that might be of help which is a, a, a more generous concept of uh content and then there's the the one that most people think about when they think about content which is how am I going to get people to buy my stuff what am I putting out there so that they know who I am but the third uh, thing is how can I spark conversations that mean I can better understand whether what I'm doing is of you know value and is needed and who who is going to be most kind of warm to this um, so when we think about our content, I think it's useful also to think like, how am I, what are the conversations that I'm having? And you've said yourself, you know, I've had conversations already that I haven't ever had before around the subject. And that's as a result of putting myself out there. And I've put in the chat, <clears throat> one of the things that you shared in the community the other day, which we're very proud of you for, which is that you've been asked, you were asked to write a, an article, um, a blog post to be featured on someone else's blog, um, about why you might need a divorce coach. And so it's starting to happen already that you're having these conversations with people and they're starting to prick up their ears to what you have to say. And how does it feel when that does happen, when someone does want to feature you based well, that, on what you had to say? That, well, it was great. And it was, it was sort of unexpected because that particular day, I decided that I was going to email a lot of women's networks. And I think I picked 10 that I found. And I just thought, I thought, well, I'll send them an email and I'll just offer to write a blog post nothing more. It was just an offer to help them. I wasn't asking to sell them anything, but I, from, from, I, I didn't hear back from all of them. I maybe got five replies to which you have to join our, our uh, network. 
and, and that was the end of the conversation. So, and, and I thought, well, I can't spend, you know, some of them were three, four hundred pounds each. I thought, well, I can't afford to do all of that. So I'll just have to accept that as a no thank you, not at the minute. And that one that, that, that asked me to write something, they just had a very different approach. They just said, well, yes, if you'd like to speak, it's this link. And if you'd like to write something, it's this link. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll write something and I'll send it to them. And again, I didn't hear anything for three weeks, two or three weeks. And I just thought, oh, well, there are no as well then. And then the next thing was, I'd just got uh, an email to say that we've, we're, we're, we've approved it and it's going to be posted. And I just thought it was fantastic. I thought, well, it was worth it. So all of that rejection <laughs> ended up with one that was a yes. So it was a positive. And, and I took that as being, as being great. And, and, I have no idea what will happen with that. Who's going to see it? You just don't know what's going to happen. And, and and so for me, that was a real positive that actually it is a good thing. It is a good niche. And I'm just going to keep plugging away at it. Mm-hmm. So it was, posi- it was positive reinforcement. And I find it hard because I don't want pats on the head. And I don't want to look at my LinkedIn posts and go, oh, I've had 63 likes today. That's kind of, I've, wor- I've worked out that that's not the important bit. But it's... um. It's still nice that somebody recognizes that your stuff's okay, even though you don't want a gold star. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Well, what does it what does it do to you inside? What What are the feelings that that are going on for you? What What What, what is the confidence that's being instilled in you as a result of somebody um, caring about what you have to say about uh, this? I- I think it's just it's just that that it's not a uh, a ridiculous niche that I've chosen, if you like. That it, that it, there's a need for it, even though yeah. I know that mm-hmm. we are. I think as human beings, we all want validation, and it's very hard to live in a world with the, when there's no validation at all for what you're doing and trying to have it all in your head. I found hard, so I need to have some kind of. I think it was having that feedback really that. I put something out and I just get a bit of something back. Otherwise you're talking to a wall and it's, um, and I find that for me is the hard bit about choosing a niche and then trying to do content marketing for it, where you feel that the people that the support I get in the community is lovely and I get coaches who like my things, but I kind of am thinking, well, what about the women who are getting divorced? What about, (laughs) where are they? Are they, do they think I'm useful? Do they want what I'm doing? Um, and I find that a hard interplay to work out uh, mm. that you that you're just trying to to, to do something right and hit, and hit hit the right nerve with somebody. I think like me, you are an activist type as well. Mm. And you know we've talked about not being able to change systems and frustrations with the NHS, and I alluded to the system of marriage. And I think that there is something in you that this speaks to which is starting to see how you might be part of a system change um and i i think what you're trying to do is not just uh help women who are going through divorce there's something about what you have designed so far that says to me that you are in the business of addressing how divorce is seen and how professional women are being seen who are divorced so whether you've thought about that or not I believe that there's something of a system change agenda in what we're doing. 
There always is, Francis, and I will own up that, that I did stand for, for a very small political party that had a very short-lived career. Uh, I stood for Change UK, whether you're a Brexiteer or not a Brexiteer, that was something that I've done. And that came out of huge amounts of frustration and shouting at the telly, uh, and <laughs> which I did a lot of, and being cross on Twitter. And I've had to come off Twitter because it's not a good space for me to be in. Um, and, and as a result of it, when they put the advert out to say, we're looking for candidates, I thought, oh, sod it, I'll give it a go. And and however many thousand people applied and I got shortlisted for an interview and then I got picked and I was just fairly blown away by it. But yes, I've had a bit of a stint in activism on a political stage, which was very short. And it made me realise I didn't want to be an MP, if nothing else. <laughs> well, may, but maybe was... this will be the way in which you do change some yeah. kind of system. You never know. And and if you, know. Couldn't, you couldn't change the NHS, but maybe you'll go some way to be some sort of whistleblower activist type in the space that is how to be divorced and it be okay and that is exciting and that's what it's, we were talking about when, you, when we thought fuck divorce can be really exciting it could be an absolute game changer for people it can um, and i th- and i think women can they, they they i don't i think when you're you're in it and it's just hideous and you can't see a way forward the way that i'm trying to reframe it i think is that you can change and you don't have to be the person that you were when when you were married and you were in it and it was all going wrong you can come out the other end of it and you're transformed um my friend has however told me in the corporate world transformation is not a good word so i've got to keep away from transformation that everyone's trying to be transformed apparently so um so it was to use a different term other than transformation but it's that vibe is that you can you can change who you are and and you can you can do things and 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 i'm not trying to say look at what i've done you can do this it's look at what you can do and 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 look at where you can be with it and where you can go and that's a big thing and i also think that the impact of of having some coaching around divorce can have a huge knock-on effect in in where they are professionally so leadership there's all sorts of things that that can come out of having coaching around divorce from a very dark place where you feel pretty rubbish about yourself you can turn it around and and have that little a in activism i like the little a to to change things around 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 you and around how you're functioning at work and as a leader and all of those things I love it. I get very excited listening and talking to you about mm. this stuff. Um, Simon and I actually were putting the world to rights last night over a couple of drinks in the pub. <clears throat> and uh, in fact, we were talking about um, that we're at a very interesting point in history where there's some stuff which everyone's like, hmm, I kind of feel like that might relate to me. And yet we can't talk about it and there isn't language to talk about it. And so it's still a bit of a taboo, whatever it might be. Mm. Um and, you know, I think the other thing that we rather like the idea of marketing representing is holding space out loud for conversation that is difficult. Um, and there's a group of coaches in our community who um, are very brave and are in the business of helping leaders be more well in themselves, physically and mentally and emotionally. And something that's concerning them at the moment is how leaders can talk about what's going on in the Ukraine um, and how difficult it is and the elephant in the room that is that sort of everyone feels they ought to be paying homage to the situation nobody knows really what to say and then they need to be able to talk to their teams about it they need to know what the public line is that they're meant to be representing as a leader and rather we we thought 
um, then they need to necessarily work out, our coach clients, what their line is on whether you should or shouldn't be talking about Ukraine. It's to hold space in your marketing for leaders in their situation uh, who might have strong feelings about this or might not and feel quite alone. Um, but by holding space and by articulating that there is a thing going on and by inviting conversation in our marketing, we are being seen not only as authorities, but also the gifters of space, which I think as coaches is a lovely concept. And we talk about mm. coaching out loud through your marketing as well and how the, the kind of meta communication and what you're putting out there shows what kind of coach you are. And I think by you... Um, sort of showing up as this as this brave individual who's who's you know talking about things that are a bit tricky. Um, first, it's unsurprising that you know you're not having loads of people knocking on the door because you know it is a bit of a new thing. You are you are looking at changing the narrative, but I think it's going to come because I think when people start to it gains traction and people realise this is actually really exciting stuff and you're at the middle of it, you know, that's when I, that's the bit I get. I'm so pleased that you are going to be part of. Sorry, that was a bit of a rant, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, um, game changing for divorce. That's what this, this show is all about. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm slightly concerned about the title, The Joy of Divorce. It's making me think of all sorts of other books. Yes. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's the pun <laughs> intended. Mm. <laughs> I suspect so, Carlos. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I don't know. Has anybody got any questions about niching and pivoting and, and, and what comes up for them? I'd be interested to see. Mm, questions, people? The other thing just to say while people think about what their questions are is that we, we do say that niching is for now. There's no pressure mm. to have a niche forever and whether that means approach to your practice or an audience that you're particularly enthused to speak to you're you know what's lovely is that you can pivot as and when you feel like it and it clearly makes sense not to do that too often because otherwise people will be a bit confused mm. um and the other thing that we say is you know people often say to Simon and me why do I need to pick a niche so well you don't need you don't have to do anything you don't want to do but here's the benefits of focusing in on an audience you know you'll avoid burnout because you won't have to put content out that resonates with everyone i.e loads and loads and loads of stuff and also you will start being seen as an authority if you talk quite specifically to a group of people but you know go for your life do what you want no one's going to hold a gun to your head it's just those are the reasons why we encourage people to try to think about being focused in terms of their method and their audience so it doesn't look like there's any Question, Simon, I think one thing that is important when you are thinking of a niche is the fact that like when 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 people are deciding whether they want to work with you or trust you they're thinking of who what and why so it's who do you work with and do I fit that description of the who what can you help me with and is that what I'm looking for and why should I trust you to help me get there so Without a niche, that's very hard to do. So if who is like, mm, well, anybody really, then what is, well, anything really, and why is like, well, to be honest, there probably isn't a reason why you can trust them because 
if it's generic coaching for everybody, then just read a couple of books, go on YouTube. It's without a niche, it's, it's, it's what we describe sort of shouting at traffic. It's like, if you don't have a niche, you may as well just hang a banner off a motorway bridge because it's as effective marketing as talking to everybody because it's just really vague. And a lot of coaches say, well, I get a lot of my, my I, I get a lot of my clients from referrals. So the thing with referrals is, well, if someone's going to refer you, then they need to remember, they need to have a conversation where they remember you and then try and work you into a conversation. So if I'm having a conversation with someone next week and they say, oh, I'm actually separating from my partner at the moment, I'm having quite a hard time of it, I know, ah, well, Lucinda's who is professional women who are going through divorce. So I know that they immediately match that who. So I've got a reason to bring you into the conversation. If you were saying, I work with professional women, it's like, well, I meet a lot of professional women. But it, you know what I mean? It's like you've got to help people recommend you. You've got to help people decide if they're in the right place. And I think that's what niching does, is it just helps people understand your who, what, and why. You know, what, you know, is the answer to those those three questions. So I think in terms of your niche, you've kind of developed that down into something that feels quite energizing, rewarding on both sides of the coaching process. But also, you know, realistically, that helps people when they're out having conversations with other people to refer you, to recommend you. Um, and without your niche, people would say, I mean, you might want to give Lucinda a, a you know, have a look at what Lucinda does. I'm not sure if it's right for you because she does a lot of things for a lot of people. You know, she kind of works with these people and she sort of works with those people. I'm not entirely sure what it is she does, but she, you know, she seems nice. That's not a very compelling referral, is it? Whereas if you say, do you know what? I know someone who works with professional women who are going through divorce and she helps them, you know, feel better about it, manage it and blah, blah, blah. You know, that's a fantastic introduction, a fantastic referral to make. And being on the receiving end of that referral, you'd be like, oh, I already feel like I need to speak to this person because it answers those three things. I was just looking at Emily's question. Hang on. Can there be a who, but a what equals anything? So can there be a who is divorced, but a what is anything? Like, do you have to coach on the actual divorce or can it be the problems at work but they've just found you because of the divorce issue i see what you mean so this this i think sort of speaks a little bit to that element uh, that we sometimes talk about of um you you kind of attract people in because you talk about divorce which is what they come to you for but secretly underneath that there's a whole load of other things that you work with them on and quite often when clients come to you before they are a coaching client, they don't have the language or the the kind of, they haven't joined the ideas together to realize, to articulate that that's what they really need. So what they're, what they're asking for is what they want. I need someone to help me with divorce. But what they need underlying that is I need help with all of these other things that they don't even know they need. They just don't know how to ask for it. So the phrase we use is you sell them what they want and then you give them what they need. So they feel amazing because they've purchased what they wanted. So they feel great. And at the end of the process, they got exactly what they needed. So they feel delighted by the whole thing. And they walk away from it going, oh, my word, I did some coaching with Lucinda. and It was amazing. I came to her to talk about divorce. And actually, we spoke about all these other things. And she sorted out all this other stuff. It's um, so, yeah, 
so I hope that helps uh, Emily, but that is essentially it. So you don't necessarily have to talk about all the other things you're going to be working on, because if people aren't able to articulate that and they're not ready to hear it yet, you don't need to talk about it. That can be your amazing experience of working with you um, that you kind of don't necessarily need to try and explain to everybody, because that's when you get into that danger territory of trying to tell people that they need coaching. Um, Anyway, yes, that we we could do a whole hour yeah, just on that. Yeah, this stuff really so turns us get... on. <laughs> because <laughs> so, it's yes, like very really good question. It's amazing. People will come to you in the in the position of a victim, the victim of divorce, the victim of mm. the persecution that is going through a divorce and being professional and having to navigate it and blah 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 blah. But where they'll get to because they get what they need is all this other stuff that mm. Emily has articulated, um, and they'll feel so empowered. And that is why divorce can be such an amazing self-growth mm. opportunity. It's super yeah. exciting. Wonderful. Sure is. And well, in the same you. vein, in the same vein, I'm just going to quickly say, one of the lawyers I was talking to just said, what if I had a man that I thought that would really benefit from your coaching? What would you do? So I answered honestly. I said, well, I might not be able to let him in the community because that's for women, but I can easily coach a man. I can do that too, so, you know. Mm. So you don't yeah. have to, you, you can be all, you can, you can still be more things to more people within your niche is what mm. I, I was trying. Yes, to exactly. On. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. And it's like, you know, as you say, you wouldn't necessarily want them to join the community, but there's no reason why the one-to-one work wouldn't no. work or resonate or connect in that way if it did. So yeah, fantastic. Well, thank you very much, everybody. And thank you very much, uh, Lucinda, for uh, sharing so openly with us about your journey and about your niche. Um, we look forward to, yeah, hearing more about how it goes and all the different conversations you have um, in, as part of the community. If you'd like to um, come in and join us in the community, then do click on the little button underneath this video. Or if you're watching on YouTube, then do head to our website um where you can come in and meet lots of other coaches just like lucinda as well and hang out with us um do join us next time for another conversation uh, on crowdcast and yes thank you very much everybody for listening oh uh we also obviously would love to share where you can find oh yes which Sorry. is in divorce village um and i stupidly do not have the link right here on my fingertips which is unusual so i wonder if you could kindly lucinda articulate it out loud Pop and i will chat. type it in the chat as well okay so hang on a minute let me just it's um you've I've got the website put... there you go um, so lucinda's i've put your linkedin in the chat okay and then um That's you're welcome website. emily I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Um, yes. And then the um, community, the Mighty Networks community, is Divorce Village, correct? Yes, and I'm looking for the link here. I'm going to put it, yeah, go for You should actually probably cut, copy and paste the link so that I don't do it wrong. Um, so anyone who knows anyone who is a professional woman and is going through a divorce knows now where they can point them which is really exciting because we all want to support those around us going through exciting change. <laughs> well done. It wasn't my Thanks, doorbell. Kieran. It's mine and I'm in the house all on my own. So I'm just ignoring, mine the, barking dog. ignoring the post people. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks very much, everybody. All See right. you next time. Thank you all. Bye.